Okay, everybody, this is Todd. And this is Kathy. Um, before I press play on this week's podcast, uh, first I'll let you know what this week's podcast is. It's a special podcast. Why is it special? We had um, our daughter, JC. Um, on the podcast. But I love we, that kid. I know. But we also had our 2017 uh, keynote from the Zen Parenting Conference, Rosalind Wiseman, who is the author of Queen Bees and Wannabes and Mastermind and Wingmen. And she also um, runs an organization called Cultures of Dignity, mm. which we talk a lot about on this show. Yeah. So it was uh, about an hour. It was a wonderful interview. Uh, but before that, we have an announcement to make. Which is? The early bird announcement. Oh, yes. Big announcement. So this Friday, so what is the date of this Friday will be the 1st of November, correct, Todd? So on November 1st, that is the last day that you can get early bird prices for this year's 2020 conference. So February 20th and 29th, uh, starring Tony Porter, Rachel Simmons, and many friends. And many, many people. It's a very rich conference this year. We're, we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about gender, and we're talking about empowerment. We're talking about healthy masculinity and neurodiversity and sex education and transgender. Um, you know, it's really, it's a wide variety. And you will, I think, walk away from this year's conference feeling a lot more informed and a lot more empowered. So... If you do not have your tickets yet, go to zenparentingradio.com um, and you will find right there on the homepage an, a, an ability to click to uh, buy your tickets or you can go to zenparentingconference.com. Either yeah. one is fine. Plenty of ways. We'll put it in the show notes of this uh, podcast. And this is the part where um, we talk to a lot of moms and dads They're like, yeah, I think I'm going to go, but I just want to see if that date's open. Right. Make it make it open. Well, yeah, because the date's not going to be open. No, We're there will bu- be something. We are too busy. There is going to be something. So it just depends on if you want to prioritize it. And, you know, hopefully you do. But if you don't, that's fine, too. But it's one of those things like we ha- kind of have this like kick the can down the road thing. And if you just want to spend more money after November 1st, we'll take it. But you know, take advantage of it. Well, and think about it as this being for you, because to Todd's point, there will be something that weekend. Our girls always have something. They've had band things. They've had sports activities. There's always something. But make um, this weekend, February 28th and 29th, leap year, by the way, um, for you. And, you know, set the stage for that to be your weekend. And it's really only Friday night and Saturday to five. Mm. So it's not like you have, you know, a whole weekend to take off or that, you know, it's basically a day and a half and you will get so much from it. Um, and also if you already do have your tickets or you're planning on buying your tickets, consider becoming a Zen friend, which means that you give a donation to our scholarship program because I've gotten more emails in the last week about, I want to attend. I have the you know ability to fly in and for the hotel, but I don't have you know money for the ticket or someone who wants to bring their significant other, but they don't have money or just someone who really wants to go, but they've just started working. So consider giving a donation. As soon as they come in, they go right back out. Um, but we really appreciate your willingness to kind of support us and making sure that the people who want to be at this conference can be there. And don't forget about Team Zen. Yes. Because if you sign up for Team Zen, you get an additional discount to the conference. Yes. That's a way of doing it. Um, And go ahead. I was going to say, and then this month on Team Zen, this is kind of a big deal. Um, Every month we've had like an author come on and talk with our Team Zen. Again, not on Zen Parenting Radio, but on Team Zen, which is our subscription service. And this year, the women who wrote Grown and Flown um, 
are going to come up, uh, Mary and Lisa are going to come on and talk to Team Zen and they get to, Team Zen gets to ask them questions and, um, you know, it's huge. And then in December, we'll have another author. So consider joining Team Zen for the community, um, for the new information, for your own support, um, and being able to ask Todd and I questions. Um, pop culturing. We did Pretty in Pink last week. We're deciding what to do for next week. Uh-huh. Maybe it'll be one Harry Met Sally. We'll see. We'll see. Um, special thanks to Jeremy Kraft, Bald Headed Beauty, Painting and Remodeling throughout Chicagoland area, avico.net. Last Thanks to our friends from 1440. Oh, we had such a great weekend at 1440. Thanks to everybody who was there. We're talking to you. We see you. We're looking at you. We love you. Um, what an incredible weekend. And what an incredible place 1440 is. Um, for those of you who maybe didn't attend our session, but you know you want to go someplace and retreat and rest and learn. Recharge the battery. It is beautiful. So okay. Without further you. ado, Rosalind Wiseman, Todd Adams, Kathy Adams, and JC Adams. Hope you enjoy. Adios. Do, 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 517. 517. Is that three prime numbers oh, in a row? Yes. That's crazy. Yes. What that's are the what odds? I was thinking. Um, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto, which is what, sweetie? The best predictor of a child's well being is a parent's self understanding. And where did we get that from? Who we did stole we steal it. that from? Dan Siegel. That's right. We got to give him credit. Yes. Many books. We're going to interview him, I think, in December. I know. People try and like give us credit for that. Yeah. They'll like, put like that quote and then put Zen Parenting, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Please don't give us credit. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, we have two very special guests for two very special reasons. Um, to my left is my daughter, J.C. Inga Adams. Thank you. This is your second time on the podcast? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, and you're supposed to be at school right now. Kind of. What kind of parents would let you skip school (laughs) to record a podcast? Not good. That's crazy. I know. To my right is a friend of ours that we had at our conference. Her name is Rosalind Wiseman. That's her. That's my clapping. (laughs) That's good. Um, Don't don't you think everybody knows who Rosalind is? Do I really need to introduce her? Just do the bio because it's just a nice way to set the tone. Well, just to kind of give you some oomph of what she's been on and what she does. (laughs) Washington Post, USA Today, The Today Show, New York Times, Good Morning America, Atlantic, CNN. She's everywhere. Do you get oh. nervous when you do all that TV stuff? Um, sometimes, but I get actually more nervous when I'm going to go talk in front of a high school group of students. Oh, Which is in about four hours from now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, and she wrote Queen Bees and Wannabes, Masterminds and Wingmen. And she has this curriculum called Owning Up, which I bought and I use with some of the things that I do. Um, Queen Bees and Wannabes uh, was adapted for a movie. What's the name of that movie? <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know what that movie is. Me called. neither. Yeah, I think it just no kind of went away. <laughs> um, called Mean Girls. And it's also a musical? What's up with that? It's crazy. It turned into a Broadway musical. Is it weird that you wrote a book when you're in your late 20s and now there's people singing about it on Broadway? Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. I think it might be the only self-help parenting book that's ever had that trajectory. <laughs> Have you seen it? I, I yeah, what absolutely. I, I've seen it many times. How, in development and when it came out. I was gonna say night. she she's probably part of the, you're part of the process. Yeah, did they invite you in a bit? Yes, they okay. did. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And I got to ask the Tina Fey question too, right? Which is what? Well, Does the she fact know? that she, that you you have met her, you know her. 
She's a big part of our household. She is a big part of our household. <laughs> really? Is she here somewhere? I wish. She in we, spirit in my heart. I'm a Liz okay. Lemon girl. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Yeah. We actually tried okay. to get her for our conference, and then we saw how many zeros were at the end of her <laughs> name. She's yes. not an easy person to no. get. No, it's a lot. Um, so anyways. I know. So she she obviously reached out to you because she had read her book, read your book, and found it to be very profound. She actually hadn't read my book. Come what? on. No. Mm-mm. No, What's the, the story? No, the story is, is that she... She read about me and the work I was doing in the New York Times Sunday Magazine. And um, right around that time, Queen Bees was coming out. So the magazine article was coming out. It was the cover story. Got it. And then about four weeks later, the book was coming out. So she first read it in the magazine, and then she read the book. That's how it happened. Hmm. Interesting. So she got the gist from the magazine like yeah, this she, is what yes and here's this profile of this crazy woman who's just like going around <laughs> talking to girls <laughs> um, and oftentimes you know girls subverting the message and you know pushing back on me which is awesome and they still do today I bet um, but that yeah that's what the article was about was me trying to navigate this world of girls yeah and what what year was that a really long time ago yeah uh, so the book came out um, in 2002 and I think Mean Girls came out in 2004 Yes. But the book has been updated. Oh, my God. Many times. Yes. Um, yes. So the last time it came out was 2016 or 17. Because when I first wrote the book, the only thing that was out there as far as social media was like, I don't know, was like AOL, whatever that was, instant messenger, like mm-hmm. things like that. It really didn't exist. Like social media didn't really exist. Mm-hmm. So obviously, I have to redo the book, you know, for social media and for the things that I get wrong, because girls will read it and boys will read it. And they'll say, hey, like this thing isn't great. It doesn't speak to me anymore. Can, or I see it differently. And so then mm-hmm. the subsequent editions reflect that. All my books do that, but mm-hmm. um, but I, I just keep going back and having young people be the experts and say, okay, well that's good, that's good. Don't you dare tell my mother that, mm-hmm. and um, and I really want her, I really want my dad to understand this. Mm-hmm. So um, so I'm constantly updating what I do. So Jace, do I mean I know you know Rosalind because of the conference and because of everything that you know we talk about in this house, but. Do your friends know that book? Like, do you guys Queen know Bees that? Yeah. Um, not necessarily. They know, obviously, they know Mean Girls. So what I say, like, I was just talking to t- some people today, and I was like, I'm going on the show, and I, I, like, told them who you were, and then I said, she's based off of Mean Girls, and they mm-hmm. obviously know the understanding behind Mean Girls. So they're like, oh, then I know what the book is about, but they've never technically, like, read or, like, heard of the book before. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. So I... Quick question, Jace, about like this, because we were just, we, Todd and I have this other podcast that we do called Pop Culturing, and we talk about um, most, we do movies that we love, but recently we've been doing a lot of 80s movies, like The Pretty in Pink, St. Elmo's Fire, but Pretty in Pink, I'll focus on for a second, because in the 80s, the whole Mean Girl thing was so extreme, meaning, I'm not saying it was extreme in my life, but in the movies, it was like horrible people. Exaggerated. Exaggerated. Everybody worshipped them, but then they were horrible. I just feel like every movie was set up that way. And I've always kind of felt like that's, obviously, that's not really how it looks. And so, like, JC, in high school, do you feel like there's, like, exaggerated versions of... Yes, 100%. Yes. Does yeah. Hollywood do it justice of what goes on in the hallways of your high no. school no of course not it they it's like what you see in movies i feel like they've gotten closer to what it actually is like you know 80s movies i feel like they've toned it down a little but in like recent you know like like netflix originals and stuff like that they 
still like over dramatize everything and they what show are you thinking yeah of? what I'm are you thinking, thinking about one okay go ahead what are you thinking i was of? thinking of euphoria yes oh for my sure God. she can watches we talk that. about yes. that show so let's first <laughs> oh my God. Okay. okay i still have only seen the first episode i right. think of a i feel like i'm a i'm a regular dad that is informed <laughs> and i saw the first episode and i kind of freaked out yeah it's a frequent outable sex drugs yeah Older that de- older guys having sex with six, 16, 15 year old girls. Okay, but can I just say what I think is even weirder sure. about Euphoria? Why are people not freaking out about it? Like people freaked out about Thirteen Reasons Why, right. because uh, literally across the country, everybody was freaking out about yeah. Thirteen Reasons Why. Yeah, and yeah. Euphoria has all of the issues that right. are in Thirteen Reasons Why, and a lot more, and. It's just not getting the kind of horror or even awareness amongst adults. There are no like, you know, courses or things in the evening or or newsletters being sent home to schools about how you should talk to your child about euphoria. And yet I think euphoria is a really dramatized version of some of the things that are happening in high school. Mm -hmm. I think some young people are having those experiences. But I don't think that all young people are having those experiences. I think they do sexual orientation and gender expression really interestingly. Yes. Um, And I think that speaks to young people in really interesting ways. but there are certainly things that are heightened but need to be talked about. Yeah. So I w- I've watched it and thought, why, why, why? Why was 13 Reasons Why having that kind of response? And why is this show, with all of the different things that are going on, sort of under the radar? Right. Is there suicidal ideation? Or oh, yeah. Su- okay. She, oh, my God. She almost, that's like that's what how it's it based starts. upon. She almost dies. Yeah. But I think, or she overdoses. Mm-hmm. But in 13 Reasons on Why, purpose. I think, on purpose, mm-hmm. right? I think they were so like taken aback because of how graphic I guess towards the end it was because in Euphoria they definitely show what she looks like you know when like things happen when her sister finds her but like it's a different kind of I guess graphic not blood no it's mm-hmm. like it's you get still get scared because you see like the emotions in it but after you know like it's like maybe a couple minutes and then it goes to her like in rehab like really quick and like the next seasons after 13 reasons why it's about her suicide like over and over and over again and like in this one it's about her getting better from her overdose so hmm. i don't know it's complicated yeah. it is complicated it's complicated also in euphoria the adults for the most part are reflective of how confusing adults can be and um, there's adult alcoholism in it and there's a lot of like looking the other way and all that kind of stuff so i think it's really good for discussion um but it's really um i think i think the sexual i think that that like the amount of sexuality that's in it also is like adults are like i can't talk to my kid there's well, no way there's i mean i think of like so, whatever american pie or breakfast mm-hmm. club or anything that i grew up on and those are two different generations yeah. american pie is obviously much more recent but there's this a part in euphoria where the two kids are having sex in the pool in the middle of a party and i'm like jc are people does that <laughs> does he really ask you those questions yes oh wow he does and what do you do like d- it's a little awkward actually. I, let her let her answer Sorry. this question <laughs> well i like that doesn't happen like that like the sexual part does not happen i feel like the like it does obviously you said like in little and like instances but that that's very over dramatized like that wouldn't happen plus like it's her trying to get back at the guy for like cheat it was really it was like a, like in the middle of a story mm. so that wouldn't happen first of all and second i feel like the part that is more should be more talked about is like the alcohol aspect of it because that part for sure happens but the sexual part doesn't yeah i don't feel like 
Got it. All right. Maybe not. So now you know what you're going to do after this. You're going to watch Euphoria and get all freaked out. Yeah. Then it's going to ask you a million questions. So apologize for that. I love it. No, it's okay. Okay. I love that show. For season two, is is that started yet? Season two? Not yet. Okay. I'm I'm only on episode one. I keep wanting to watch it with you, but Mm -hmm. you need to be in a certain mood to get ready for that show. At the end of the day. Like I feel I'm a therapist. So like I'm taking in people's issues all day long Yeah, and to go home and be like, oh, now I'm going to relax and watch Euphoria. Yeah. Yeah, It just, but one thing I was going to say when you asked JC that question is, and again, I, she is pretty open with us how she feels about it, but because I, I teach, um, sex ed. And so it gets talked about a lot in this home and a lot of the girls are helpful to me because if I'm going to talk to fifth grade girls, I'm like, girls, what do fifth grade girls right now, you know, and, and then vice versa, what the fifth grade girls feed to me, I come home and say, girls, is this, so it keeps it, it's more, um, or you can read Rosalind's books. I, when I read masterminds and wingmen, because it's about boys, (laughs) that was, that was a jump starter for you, Todd. I loved it. I remember remember you talking to me Mm -hmm. about it. It's the foundation for a lot of the things that I work because I work with men, I work with boys. I did, there's one, I can't believe I'm saying this to you, but there's one thing that I didn't, not that I didn't agree with, but I couldn't connect with. You can disagree. Yeah. Um, the, you know, I forget the names, but you gave like each boy in a circle oh. a certain name, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the jokester or whatever. I, I don't know. The entertainer. Remember. The entertainer. Mm-hmm. The punching bag. And I just, I, I it wasn't as clearly defined the, my experience as a boy mm-hmm. as you wrote about it, as if oh there's there's going to be this guy this guy this guy and mm-hmm. they're not going to like mesh between two roles and I, it just didn't but maybe that's what you have to do when you're writing about something well, yeah so well I think so actually that is a, that's a really good point because when I do and I don't do it that often um, where I put people when I label things labeling is really problematic mm-hmm. and complicated because you want people to be able to, to identify with a particular behavior and label and say, oh, that ref- that's something that I can relate to and or identify with and um, for good or for bad. And if it's not good and if you see it as there are negative parts of it, then once you can see it more clearly, then you can see what the consequences are and then you can let go of some of that behavior. So, um, but labels because of the way our brains work, obviously is like, oh, that's who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. And that's what parents do with some of my work with queen bees or with masterminds, which I really is not the point of what we're doing, why I do this. So those labels are a way to start a conversation, but they are definitely, definitely not the definitive answer and experience for every person. And the boys and I, when we were working on that part of it, there was so much disagreement about what the what we would call the particular labels. It, I mean, at a certain point, I remember this distinctly because I had about 160 boys helping me at any one time with writing that book. And I, I distinctly remember um, saying, okay, we just have to agree. We have to like get to a place because there was so much disagreement. The only thing they didn't, there were two that they didn't, that they there was like widespread agreement about was that there was always a guy in a group who was like the punching bag, the guy that everybody else could tease in the group, but they would protect him from everybody else. Mm. Um, and the fly, the guy who tries too hard. Mm. Um, and I hate it. I mean, I, I believe in giving young people a voice to name their experiences. And so when they said, oh, no, we got to call it the fly. I was like, oh, yeah. that's just so awful. Yeah. But I wanted the boys to name their experiences. So that's that's where we came up with that. But it's really tricky. It mm-hmm. always makes me cringe when a parent will come up to me and say, oh, I know the queen bees in my daughter's grade. I'm mm-hmm. like, great. 
Yeah. You did not listen to what I said. Yes. <laughs> they didn't read beyond the title or the description. No, yeah. they're just looking for mm-hmm. ways mm-hmm. to put a person in a box mm-hmm. and then say, well, that then I basically don't have to really listen to them mm-hmm. or I, it gives me the excuse of not liking them. Mm-hmm. And that's totally antithetical to why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to be really opportunistic because I don't get a chance to have, you've written two amazing books about boyhood and girlhood. And I've heard so many times about, from buddies or teachers or whatever, and they say, oh, well, you know, just generally speaking, girls are meaner, or when boys get mad at other boys, they like, they, they get mad and then they clean it up and then it's it, whereas girls, it's like more drama and extended. My, and as somebody who has three daughters mm-hmm. and I get challenged all the time, like, oh, wait till they hit puberty or they get their period, you're never gonna wanna be around. Like, I hate that. All that too. stuff. My, so I guess to simplify my question, is there any truth to the, the statement girls are meaner because there's a movie called mean girls written yeah. after the book that you wrote right right and it's really hard because i think i've definitely come up with and interacted with boys who are very socially intelligent i think the larger you're asking a couple questions and one of the things that you know oh boys get over it so if boys got over the social issues and dynamics that they experience we are dealing with four boys the most amount of trauma right? Dropping out of school, hating school, suicide, lethality of suicide, mental health issues beyond depression and anxiety, school violence. All of those things are disproportionately perpetrated by boys. So you cannot argue with me about like, oh no, boys are, they have these experiences and they let it go. No, they don't. They learn about power and they learn about what, how they can operate within these power dynamics and how they can't and how they can retaliate. And that is not getting beyond any of these issues. And just take away all of the all of the issues I just talked about. How many boys hate school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hate school yeah. for very good reason. And I, I just I'm like, are we really going to just look that superficially at this? Because we've got so many alarm bells all around us that young men are suffering. Yeah. And um, either as perpetrators or as targets or as bystanders. And we just keep saying, no, no, they're good because they're they're just way better than girls because they just let it go. Well, I'll hear from a parent like, oh, I have a son and a daughter. My daughter's so drama filled. My son, he's fine. Nothing. And right. my question, and it usually lands poorly. <laughs> are you sure he's that fine? Because we're really good at suppressing and hiding. They're and it's so, going to yes, come out sideways. So good. So good. And mm-hmm. s- 10 years down the road, a year down the road, whatever. I think... Girls are more intelligent because they let it out more. The uh, emotionally intelligence. The emotional intelligence. That's now that's once again, that's like a hasty generalization, mm-hmm. but I believe that to be true. I think that girls I think that girls have an easier time most girls have an easier time finding a language to talk about what's happening to them and affirmation from adults that what they're going through is serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so JC in your, cause your, your friends are like a mix of boys and girls. Do you find in, you know, when I, when I say emotional intelligence, you know yeah. what I mean by that? Like who, you know, you can talk about it. You're conscious of your choices. Mm-hmm. You're thoughtful of other people's feelings. You understand yourself, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So do you think as far as the boys and girls that it's comparable? Like, what do you think? Yeah. I think I'm actually very lucky. Like our, the I guys, don't think you're probably lucky. I think you probably chose on purpose. <laughs> right. That's nice, Russell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the guys in my group that we hang out with are very socially, even though sometimes we don't think so, they're socially intelligent and they're emotionally intelligent because mm-hmm. they're not, they, I don't know. I just think that they like 
know when people need space or they know when they need to talk to us. But then there's some points when they don't, you know, like they're for guys, it's a little harder. Right. And then for the girls, it's a little easier to especially because I'm a girl. You talk to your own friends, you know, about like how you're feeling and that you get to they get to say the same thing back to you. But then guys, it's sometimes nice to have a new perspective and they but at the same time, like it's a little confusing. Well, I feel like it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes when your guy friends are struggling, they may talk to their girlfriends For about sure, their struggles. Their guy, rather yeah, because than each they other. feel like it's weak to talk to. And see, that's the word, right? Sure. Sure. Like they, but at the same time, like we've tried to get our guy friends to talk to each other because <laughs> we're like, though they're feeling the same exact way. I have a question for you though. Yeah. Have you read any of their group chats? They, they, okay, when we say, what can we be in a chat with you guys? They're like, well, then it's not the boys' chat. Exactly. Right? So what does that mean? So boys' chats are, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. They're like, <laughs> we, or they're not themselves when we're there. You know what I mean? Like, which so means- I think that means that, this is my experience with this, is that they can be the most lovely of boys, can be right. absolutely, outrageously sexist, racist, right. homophobic, like, such crazy like mm-hmm. crazy stuff and within those same things is my heart is breaking i'm in love with this person oh my gosh i don't know what to do so i think in the group chats right. is like the messiness of boys for mm-hmm. better and for worse is um is just everything they're unfiltered that's why getting into the group chat is such a big deal plus my guess is my guess i could be wrong but yeah. my guess is is that they don't want girls seeing what's in their group chat no. because if they if you see some of the um more you know, problematic things that yeah. they're posting, that girls are much more likely to say, hey, that's racist, that's sexist, like, yeah. don't For do sure. that. Yeah. That's homophobic. And they don't really want to hear that because they actually know it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. they don't really want because it's their group chat. So yeah. it's, it's private. Yeah, like exactly. Private so, Rosalind, I, you know, I know really. Which doesn't make it right. I just want to, right? Yeah. I just want to like put the, yeah. you know, like know here's why they're like, yeah, you can't be in the group chat. That's like for the boys. It's like yeah. they're insulated. Yeah. Do you have your own private girl only group yes, chat? Yes, for sure. Are you as, <laughs> are you as exclusive saying boys, you can't join? They never <laughs> ask because they know the answer, you know, okay. like, okay. like it's like sometimes, I don't know, like I, the stuff that we talk about, they're like, a, like we they don't have any interest. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably like. also talk about it too. Right. And it's not as secretive because I have no idea what goes on when they, well, I do because I've seen parts, you know, when we're like in a group together and then they like, they get each other riled up and then they start saying stuff and they're like, well, we have to tone it down because <laughs> they're here, you know? <laughs> so it's like kind of confusing between them. But for girls, yeah, they definitely talk more, I don't know, openly about yeah. like the emotional. See, girls will get it. you in trouble. That's the problem. Is that they'll right. get you in trouble? Is they'll there a, so there's a guy code saying you don't rat your friends out? Well, okay, so this is a big okay, so I, I really do mean that it's there's so one of the things that's really, really tough, right, that you know better than I do, is that the it's always been the case that being funny for boys is their social currency mm-hmm. and also being able to come back right on with something funny some kind of like put down some kind of sarcastic remarks something like yes. that it's always been the evergreen like th- like status currency for boys 
And now this generation, of course, it's all taking place on social media, primarily, I think, in couple in their group chats and in the memes they send, and then in the obsession that they have with how to respond to certain things. Or if they do post on Instagram, which most of them don't, they will be obsessive about how they post, mm. what they post, because they know that it's going to make them vulnerable to other boys making some, some, kind, of, some kind of sarcastic comment. So... This, this thing about humor is so important, and it's not necessarily bad. And I do believe we have gotten to a place in our culture where we can't, like, we're so worried about being funny that we are, like, shutting ourselves down. Um, so I think we have to understand the context, because boys get into a lot of trouble for doing things on social media that are, like, racist, sexist, homophobic, and they're awful, and they need to be held accountable. But to not understand the social dynamics that's compelling mm -hmm. them to be funny mm -hmm. um, it, once we go, if we go to them and say like, you're a terrible person, like you're racist, you're sexist, you're this, you're that, they're going to totally disengage from us. Mm -hmm. So if we see it as like, the group chat is like super bonding. Yeah. It's super, it, it is the glue for their friendships then, or the memes that they send are like, I, I, like the profound like bonding that happens with memes that they are sending. That's important. And we have to see it for what it is. And then we can address it appropriately. Mm -hmm. But if you put girls into the mix, they're going to say that's <laughs> yeah. not funny. Yeah. And then that then it and then that gets them all worried mm -hmm. that they're going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. Well, and I want to talk yeah. uh, specifically about how you're uh, one thing that struck me of something that you just said, Rosalind, was that um, good boys mm -hmm. say bad things. They do. So mm -hmm. we they did do. a screening of a documentary called The Bystander Moment. Or the, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, The Bystander Moment. Um, Jackson Cats. Jackson Cats. Mm -hmm. yeah. Current, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And then we did a Q&A after. And there was a high school senior mm -hmm. in the crowd. And he was telling a story because it's all about toxic masculinity, healthy masculinity. And he said, I got picked up by my buddies after I had a date at my girlfriend's house. And the first question they asked was, well, did you get any or something that had to do with sex? It was a little more. Yeah. A little rougher. more yeah. Yeah. rougher yeah, than graphic, that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you ever mm -hmm. <laughs> what they said? Or that's right. what he said. They said, right. And he said, and he, I felt like he wanted to kind of go to that place of vulnerability and like mm. get sad, but he, but, and then when he said no, they called him an FAG. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that this boy has awful friends. Right. I think this boy has friends who feel safer by making, f that's how you connect with a guy by making fun of him. And that sounds so backwards, but that's, I think, what happens. Well, I think a lot of people do that, right? But I think I think boys are, it's their way to connect with each other. And then the easiest lowest hanging fruit basically mm -hmm. is to go after boys in that way and they're going to say in response like if somebody gets really upset with them because that conversation got recorded and then is mm -hmm. on the snap whatever and that's on snapchat and then somebody takes a screenshot whatever um is that you see it and you think oh these these are terrible terrible people and it's so tough because if you it's like you're we're not seeing them in the context in which they are operating in and so my thing when I'm talking to boys is, or when I'm working with them, is 
um, the only way we're going to be able to address the issues and they're going to take us seriously and they stop using those kinds of words is if we acknowledge that it's actually not coming from a bad place mm. most of the time. There are some. Of course there are. There are some boys who are racist, sexist, you know, and are absolutely mm. wanting to And their behavior, absolutely. not just their words, their behavior corresponds oh my with God, their words. totally, right. Um, but most of the time they don't. They don't. And okay. so to be able, and it's in this culture, it is so difficult to parse the difference because we don't want to see any kind of nuance. nuance and we don't want to be able to actually understand the complexity of the situation, which, of course, and this is the thing that really, you know, if you're listening to this, like, well, this is wrong, right? That boys need to know. Well, what we really need is for boys to actually, like, want to be in conversation with us mm -hmm. about this. First things first. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean mm -hmm. because what we're doing is, and I have watched this of literally around the country, is that boys who did not start off angry about this and did not start off resentful are very resentful mm -hmm. because every time they try and have a conversation about, like, I don't really understand this. Can we just talk about this? Because it's confusing to me. They get so slammed mm. that they shut then down. stop, they shut down, and then they go right to the kinds of situations and viewpoints and that are really not helpful. So it's um we gotta be really like we really have to focus on the goal, which is do we want to lecture boys and disengage them and alienate them, or do we want to be in conversation with them so that they can become the young men they want to be? So how do you do that? Open ended questions and try to withhold your judgment as, as much as possible? I, I mean, I ask I ask a lot of questions, but I also, I think the thing that boys, I think any young person can feel, and this is actually one of the things I've been working on a lot, is I think that one of the ways in which boys will come forward is if they see that you are treating them with respect, mm. right? And that actually you're clear about what respect means. It's another I th currency. I think, yeah, because I think respect is actually one of the most co-opted manipulated words in education. And if mm. I could take down the word respect in every school in the country, I would. Inclu and I would also take down like the words integrity and mm. perseverance and things like that. I would take down every single one of these words on these walls. Um, but respect is really difficult because respect actually what it means is to, uh, to admire somebody based on not only what they've achieved, but how they have achieved it. Mm. So when you ask somebody, well, who do you respect? And it's one of the things I do all the, a lot with teachers is who did you respect when you were young? It's never about, and if you ask this to an adult, it's never about the person's position. It's about how they treated people. Mm. And so what? And so the word I've been using a lot is dignity, which is yeah. to be worthy. And you get that, right? Dignity is a given. Respect is earned. Mm. And so what we have, and young people are very aware of this, and boys are very aware of this, is that we have constantly, consistently young people, and the less power they have because of their class or their race or things like that, their gender identity, that kind of stuff, the less power they have, the more they are in a situation of respect means compliance and obedience. Mm -hmm. And But young people everywhere are in a situation of, it doesn't matter how I treat you. In fact, I can actually abuse power and you still have to respect me because you have to respect the position that I'm in. Mm. And so one of the things that's really true, and I work in really conservative communities, religious communities, really liberal communities, one of the things we just have to be really clear about is that young people are constantly seeing adults use their position of respect to get away with incredibly bad behavior. And it's not just people in politics. It's literally like coaches and parents every mm. Saturday at every field and court in this country. Totally. So we don't have a lot of credibility about yeah. this. And it's and so and then we just say you have to respect us. You have to respect us. Or, you know, again, like I work with teachers a lot, a kid will come to a teacher and say, like, these kids are being horrible to me. Um, you know, I what do I do? And she will it's really common for a teacher to say you don't have to be friends with this person, but you do need to treat them with respect. And that is heard mm. as 
I can't do anything about this. Mm-hmm. And it's infuriating because you're showing, you have to show respect to somebody that is abusing power. And it, so instead, if the teacher says, hey, you don't have to be friends with that person, but you don't have to respect their actions, but you do need to treat them with dignity, mm. that changes yeah. the dynamic. And I really think we have to do this because young people really are, for good reason, not buying this. They're like, you all are so... Hypocritical. It's so... This is like, you're telling me that I have to respect you, which means I have to obey you no matter how you treat other people. And then we tell them that they've got to like be upstanders. Right. Makes no sense. Rosalind, the most common question that I get from parents is, well, maybe not the most common, but in the top 10, is how do I get my daughter, my son to stand up to the bully at school? How do I get my daughter, my son to go up to the teacher and ask that question? (laughs) How do I get my daughter, my son? And my question always to that parent is, you know, do you work or you, you know, connected to something? Do you do that? Do you ask for a raise? Do you go in and tell a bully when they're being a bully? And and I'm not, and, and it's not like I'm trying to slap them right, down. Sure. It's, you have to have perspective. And not only that, but the girls, you know, talking about my children, but anybody's children, that school is their world. It's their milieu. So to go in and like bust it up, and be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk down to the bully, and I'm gonna, you know, tell the teacher what I deserve. All these things. That's like coming in at like a bull in a china shop. This yeah. is where they have to live. It's not real life. It's which not is why real life. programs where young. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like pro- programs where young people are like wearing sashes about their like the bully ambas- anti-bully <laughs> ambassadors. I mean, are like really? Right. Is this really our response to a complicated social dynamic? Mm-hmm. And by the way, like, who are the kids with those sashes? Right. Um, yeah. Often the bullies. <laughs> and and even that word bully, you know, when we think about a bully and it's kind of like the mean girls thing. These girls are mm-hmm. these people, these boys. Mm-hmm. And bullying, and again, that word has even gotten, you yeah. know, where it's like sometimes kids are just, you know, when someone's saving a seat for another kid, it doesn't necessarily mean they're bullying the other kid. Right. You know, I'll just right. be clear sure. about that. But every kid has, I mean, JC, I'm going to totally put you on the spot. You ready? Mm-hmm. Have you ever bullied someone or maybe been in disrespectful to somebody? <laughs> yeah. And maybe maybe in the moment you thought you felt justice or you know, righteous or justified. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that in yourself. Yeah, everyone does. But in like I guess everyone has the moments when they're like, Oh, after you say it, you're like, Oh, I definitely shouldn't have said that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But then you like you but after you think about it and you reflect on it and like you said you just had an ex- not just but you bullied the one kid when you're in middle school jim murphy yeah and you remember <laughs> and you take that with you but then the bullies the real bullies they it still hurts them but they continue you to know do to it. act upon it right mm. so so they don't some kids don't have as much of a conscience about right. it and they you know we obviously know this but it's probably because their childhood or like what they're going like what's going on at home or right it's not about them. Right. It's about well, them and also, I mean, if you see, if you see constantly on social media in various ways, people's entertainment is somebody else's embarrassment. Yeah. It's so normalized that you're right. like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't see why I should care. Yeah. So um, it's not. I, I think that I 100% agree with you, and I think that we are getting a constant message of like we shouldn't care. Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody else is. 
you know, humiliation, the negatives that they're experiencing mm-hmm. is is something that we can look at and be entertained by. And then we can mm-hmm. feel good about, if they do some kind of inspirational thing at the end of it, then we feel good about it mm-hmm. and then we pat ourselves on the back. Mm-hmm. But um, we really need to be self-aware about how we are talking about people. I mean, one of the things I think is really important because I get so upset about parents gossiping about kids. Mm. I, get, I get like like I get a little heated and as in a lot, (laughs) um, you know, so, you know, if there's a girl who's, who's sent a a sexual picture of herself and she's in eighth grade or seventh grade, or I don't even care, sixth grade to high school, I don't care. And she sent the picture and it's not a crime to be naive or fall in love with somebody and then send a picture through the medium that you actually have grown up with. That is not a crime. That is not unethical. Um, Actually, in many states, it is a crime. I need to say that. But it's not, in my mind, that demographic, that situation is not not unethical. It is, of course, unethical to take that picture and use it to humiliate her. Mm -hmm. So what is, or him, the thing that I think that's so important for parents is that we are going to hear about things about other young people. We are going to. We're going to hear about terrible stories about young people. And we're going to be online or we're going to be at the grocery store or at the athletic event and people are going to be... Right. And the most that adults will often do is they'll be silent because they're like horrified, but they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. Right. Just like mm-hmm. yours. Right. Like I would ask the question of when did you hear a group of parents gossiping and you didn't say anything? Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead, I think we need to say something like that must be really hard for that child. That must be really hard for that, that family. What can we do to support them? Mm-hmm. So it's twofold, which is like, hey, can we stop this insanity? And it also hopefully will be like, what can we do to support these people? Because I'm guessing you know that there are some of those kinds of pictures and images that have gone public. There's lots of kids where they've done things that their parents are like, oh, yeah, that would never happen. Mm. And their kids have totally done. They just haven't gotten caught for various reasons. Yeah, totally. Well, and we, our generation, has complete amnesia. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is, and especially talking about like, you know, just bring it back to sex education. You know, like I don't want my child to do this. I don't want my daughter to, you know, and and you talk about pushback. I have a lot of parents pushback on me saying you're taking away my child's innocence if you're talking about these things, if you're bringing up these things. Um, And I I know some of these people. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I know their, I mean, it's not like I know the most intimate, but I know their experiences in high school. I know their experiences in college and you have amnesia. I know your experiences in middle school and for you to be so terrified or horrified by stories that you hear, first of all, it's a story. It could be one kid, two kids. It's not everybody. That's the other thing is we say all kids are doing this. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, is we know that, well, actually they don't because they're not. The more we talk about this, the more we have conversation, then their curiosity can be met with some information. And so then they don't have to go practice it to figure it out themselves. But we get in this mindset of, I'd like to, I'd like to tell my children that they need to wait until they're married because I didn't. So I want them to. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's another yeah, version of living like, out a dream. I just don't. I just listen to this. I'm like, I just don't even understand. I know. I literally, I don't understand. I know. I don't because the, the middle school people I work with, I don't know. Most of them have seen some kind of porn at right. school. So you know, some mm-hmm. kids like, oh, look at this, right, and turns their phone to them or their or their Chromebook. Which, of course, is hilarious because the schools are supplying that and they're like, we need to be a one to one school and we need this and that and, and the Chromebooks and blah, blah, blah. Right. And you're like, mm hmm. 
No phones. Sure. Okay. Right. The all of this will stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But like, really, like, I mean, how many kids in middle school, middle school have been sitting next to another child and right before math starts and a kid turns to them and goes like, ah, look what I just, absolutely. Would, right. Mm-hmm. And when so, we were in middle school, it was a magazine. Right. Or you would walk into someone's house and they'd have a videotape of a porno on or something. And so our medium was just, it was less frequent, but it was Mm -hmm. there. And that's what I mean about the amnesia. Like you remember when you saw these things for the first time, even if you weren't an active participant, it was put in your face somehow. And so I, yeah, I just listen to, I'm like, I don't get what universe, I just don't, but, but you know, whatever, you got to stay with it and keep trying. Right. (laughs) Just like, okay. Right. Keep having the conversation and bring, and, and it comes down to, I mean, you know, again, we'll get too sidetracked about sex that it comes down to their own fear, shame, what they weren't, you know, nobody talked to me about sex and I turned out okay. You know, I can't tell you how many times I hear that where I'm like, did you? I don't know. Right. We could always do better. How about? (laughs) Right. Let's keep expanding. So I wanted to go back to, um, what you were talking about, dignity and respect Mm -hmm. Because you literally, your would you call it your organization is mm-hmm. called Court? Okay, absolutely. So your organization has the best title ever. It's my favorite. Cultures, it's true. Cultures oh, of dignity. Thank you. If you could remove yourself and and thank not you. be the one who developed it and look at it, you would be in complete admiration. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh, thanks. for sure. Well, like you. it could be called RosalindWiseman.com, <laughs> but instead <laughs> it's CulturesOfDignity.com. And yeah. dignity is. And I love what you said about the difference between respect and dignity. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a word that Kathy. I use quite often. Well, I've been mm-hmm. holding it so like gently because ever since about 2016, mm-hmm. I feel like it's just escaped us. Like mm-hmm. we've forgotten. And maybe I was, um, yeah, had you, my head in the sand yeah. before that. And maybe mm-hmm. I was living in a bubble of my I own where I were. thought, yes. Mm-hmm. And just that word, like I look back on my social media around, you know, that yeah. time and I, and I re- had a million posts saying what, what's, what's happened? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was shocking, shocking. And I'm not shocked anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I'm numbed and, you mm-hmm. know, everything is it's like yeah you know as Rob Bell says of course course. you know like of course that someone's gonna say that or do Mm -hmm. that but I really for you to keep that word as an honorable word is something that is something it's for our own self um, understanding Mm -hmm. and our own self-appreciation and what we can offer I think it's our way out it is I think it's our way out I really do um Yeah, about three years ago, I decided that I just didn't feel it's wonderful to have these books and it's wonderful for people to use them as resources. And and I always got a tremendous amount of, um, you know, to be in conversation with young people um, about those kinds of projects was great. And I felt like I was just not doing the systemic work that Mm -hmm. I wanted to do. So it was actually a really hard thing to do because it meant giving up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it meant, by the way, giving up a a very clear career path Mm -hmm. of what looks like success, right? Being on TV a lot, um, you know, just being sort of the talking head Mm -hmm. kind of person and dropping in and doing things. And And I, but I just got to this place uh, even before the election of, of, for me, of I, this isn't, I just can't do this. I just can't keep doing this. So I, about three years ago, um, started a company with a young man who had started working with me um, when I moved to Colorado seven years ago. And he was in, in um, 
banking. He was in investment banking. And he started working with me part-time. And then he just quit his job. And then he, so then he started working for me full-time. And then about three years ago, l- longer than that, about four, he was like, I actually want to do – you, you keep saying you want to do things that are systemic and make change. I want to help you do that. Mm. And so we created this company, um, Cultures of Dignity, and we are working systemically in schools and in educational organizations and in organizations around the world now Mm. to be able to take these concepts of respect and dignity. Because the thing about the respect piece is it's really our Achilles heel because across ethnicities and religions and cultures, it's always respect your elders, right? Mm -hmm. It's always respect your teachers, your parents, right? And I'm not saying don't do that. What I'm saying is, is that we respect those positions, Mm -hmm. but that we also have to understand that 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 piece enables sexual abuse to occur. It enables physical abuse and psychological abuse to occur. It is one of the things. It is one of the most important ways in which people in positions of respect go after people who are vulnerable because people who are vulnerable know that if they speak out against this person in position of authority and respect, that they will not be believed. Mm -hmm. So if we frame it that way, my experience is is that, because I'm now working really like all over the world, is that when we frame it that way, people understand it in a different Mm -hmm. way. And so we are working systemically. Um, there's two. There's 2,000 sixth graders that are using our curricula in Texas. Um, there are. Um, we've revamped everything that we've done. So I had this owning up curriculum, and it was only for middle school. And now what we've done, because we've listened to teachers, is we've now differentiated that across the grade levels, and that will be published soon. So it's from fourth grade through high school. Mm. We are. So it's vastly expanded. The social media is totally expanded. We're just keep connecting it to dignity and how we get out of here. So how do we get out so we repair our communities? Um, we can. We can. I the, just think that's those are the words we need to focus on. Maybe a quick side note. I can't stand it when people say respect your elders. Mm. Why would an elder be any more or less deserving than a younger person? Like it doesn't... I'd, but you do know. I do and I don't. It makes no sense but to me. But you grew up with it, like your grandmother and your, you know, they're older than you. And there These is... are, we are human beings. If the kid's a two-year-old or a 98-year-old, we need to respect everybody. I'm not going to... I think we to... use the word dignity instead, and then I think you're good. Yes. Really? Mm-hmm. Because dignity is worth, right? So you could say it this way. This is the way I think about it. Dig- everyone gets dignity, no matter how old you are. One of the things about respect that is helpful for me when I'm working with young people is that I respect, meaning I appreciate when I am working with a young person, I respect the fact that I might not know their story, their particular experience, but I know that they have had experiences that are impacting and influencing the way they talk to me. And that they are in, that those experiences inform their lives for better and for worse. And I need to respect that mm-hmm. because most adults, when we're talking to young people, don't think about that. We think, well, that you know, if that kid's acting out in a particular way, well, that's just without a context. It's always has a context. Always. So I th- the way I think about another way of looking at respect is thinking and appreciating and acknowledging. I don't need to know someone's story, but I do need to know and respect that there was a path that got him here. Yeah. And if I just know that, then I can show up in a different way. But if I, so that's why I go back to the meanings of the words, because for me, that's always really helpful is like respect is from Latin is to look back at at someone's achievements, Um, glasses, spectacles comes from the same root. So is to look through. Mm. So it's, it's, that's where it's coming from. So dignity Mm -hmm. is just, you get it. Yeah. So, and is that why it's called cultures of dignity instead of cultures of respect? Yeah. Cause I, I really, it is using the word respect is, is 
so off-putting to young people and it's and it's so disrespectful to their experiences of school well and there's some toxicity in the term respect too because as a man in this culture i know that respect is a currency yep and if you get disrespected you have to man up and destroy whoever just took that away from you exactly so when young people say to an adult I'm not going to respect you until you respect me. Mm-hmm. And adults are like, I'm sorry, are you kidding mm-hmm. me? And then I'm going to force you to respect. You've completely lost any relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how does this land with teachers? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like I can only imagine when you're doing this exact yeah. talk that there's a lot of pushback. Yeah, there's a little. Um, well, I mean, I've gotten better at honing my message okay. in the last two years. That is that is for sure. Um, so I... And it was really a blessing to work with. I worked with people in the South of the United States for a while for as I was honing the message. And about nine months into the work with this group of teachers, they basically were like, yeah, I'm not buying it. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying it. And and really, truly, and I remember the teacher saying this because she was holding her heart. And she was like, "It's respect is like my culture. Mm. Like, it's my grandmother. You can't tell me to not respect my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And so it took them a while to um, to be honest with me about the way they felt. And as usual, when you're teaching, but you're in relationship with somebody, you, you, can, you are a much better teacher when someone tells you how it's landing for them. Mm-hmm. And so they told me, the teacher was like, I just, and, and then there was this ricocheting of like, yeah, 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 yeah. And you're telling us this this equation, basically, which is going to take our authority away. Right. That's what and, I was saying. Right. And so here, so what we have to really talk about is, well, how do you set up the classroom? Mm-hmm. And also, if you don't, if we do this, what's happening? If you keep talking about compliance, then you really have never, they're never going to internalize mm-hmm. how to control themselves and how to manage themselves and how to show up in your classroom. So mm-hmm. you have the appearance of looking like you have compliance. Right. But if you want to be an ethical authority figure that they actually take seriously and will take the academic risks that they need to to learn, they're not going to do it by this compliance model. Exactly. And but and the thing, you know, you can say yeah. that to teachers and be like, I mean, I actually had a teacher say, okay, yeah, but when do I get to yell at the kids? Right. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I said, I get it. Like, I get it. At the time, I was actually teaching a group of middle school kids that were just making me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I really just every morning I'd wake up and I had to teach them. I'm like, I really, really wish I don't have to go. So I get it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, yes, that's a normal, natural feeling. Like, when do I get to yell? When do I get to? Well, you're a teacher and you're an educator. And our responsibility in the educational system is to give you the training so that you can manage yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might want to, but actually it completely doesn't serve your purpose. Mm-hmm. So I totally get it. I totally get it. I sometimes hate my students too. Totally mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it actually doesn't get what we want. Exactly. So we got it. So as an adult, who supposedly our frontal cortex is completely developed, <laughs> we're supposed to be able to literally handle that kind right. of feeling. Um, and that's our job. So I, so it's been a honing in on the message. The thing that I think has worked really very powerfully in more conservative communities, like what I was talking about in the South is me saying, so this is the way that communities of faith that leaders have been able to take advantage Mm -hmm. of people. This is, I'm not saying to don't respect your grandma or your uncle, Mm -hmm. but we all know that it's the position of uncle or of grandparent mm-hmm. or of whatever that allows the abuse to take place. Mm-hmm. And as soon, and definitely as coach. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I said that, 
to that group of people, there was a... It's a good reframe. Oh, we get it. Yeah. Because everybody was like, okay, got it. Right? And now I can move into this conversation. But you have to respect people's cultures. And then once you do, and they feel the uh, trust to tell you what they actually think, which means you have to be there for a while to like build that trust... Then we got the more truth and honesty from them. And, you know, it's just so layered, which is what you run into, because Todd and I are always talking to parents about the very same thing. And a lot of times we are parenting or teaching on an old what we were taught and what we experienced. And we really do use the old, you know, adage of, well, I got through it or that's what happened to me or that's how you do it. Or that's the only way you can, you know, get respect, which is, you know, we're Mm -hmm. we're playing with that word right now, or that's the only way that I can control the class. And we're always like, maybe in the moment you control the class because your voice gets loud, but you're not developing a sense of, and again, these words can sound so fluffy, but connection or um, a willingness to really hear you or learn from you. It's the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. They may be totally. scared to death of you, but are they learning? Are they asking questions? Are they raising their hand? Are you are you just getting through the year or is there, and then, so this is exactly what happens with parents is where they are using a model they learned and saying, it's time for me to have power yeah. now. Yeah. And that's a lot of unpacking for them. That's a lot. You got to go back. And it just also sort of hor- there are moments of I, I get this if you're especially if you're not in this world with young people all the time of like I can get why you'd be horrified. Yeah. Like I was teaching a class a little while ago and I was teaching a group of eighth grade boys and we were talking about whether or not when you're being teased under what circumstances would you come forward and say anything to anybody about mm-hmm. it or is it better to just pretend that it's not bothering you and they had very nuanced whens and whys you do that one of the young men in my class who was um there but also like he was a power suck right with the rest mm-hmm. of the rest of the class and he said well, I mean, I think what you need to do is you need to fight and record it, and then you get famous, and you get lots of likes, and then that's that's what you should do. Mm. Now, most adults, when they hear that, are you know are going to be like, "What? That that is against school rules. You could be suspended. Blah blah blah. All this stuff, right?" That's a really interesting comment he just made. Mm-hmm. Like, why is fame so important to him, mm-hmm. and and how is he defining it, mm-hmm. and what is motivating him? And in the moment, he's not doing a cost-benefit analysis, or maybe he is, and it's still coming out in this way of, if I do this and I get caught, then I'm going to get suspended. Um, and I'm going to take that. I'm going to get in trouble with my SRO, with my school resource officer. I'll take that risk. That'll elevate his social stance. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what all the boys were like. But then he becomes the man. Yep. And then he becomes famous. He becomes famous. Then he's going to have like a mixtape. Like he's going to have like yeah. all of his fights, like in a, you know, in a, in a video that people are going to watch. And you, it's easy to listen to this and go, what is going on with young people today? This is crazy. But this is actually the moment where you step into the conversation mm-hmm. and say, well, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Why is fame so important? Mm-hmm. It gets you to the next level yeah, of but what why? are they looking for? Yeah, like it's, it's like it's a moment of like actual truth mm-hmm. that's happening in the classroom. That is not a moment to say like you're horrible. It's a moment to say, wow, that is a really interesting thing you just said. What? Like talk to me about this. Right. Explain it to me. JC, why is fame so important? Um, little question I think well I think that fame is so important because it you just have power over everyone else Mm -hmm. you know what I mean everyone's looking to you and everyone secretly wants attention can we insert popularity in for fame is that kind of what we're talking about yeah for sure yeah because like popularity well obviously I've like experienced that personally like why you want it so bad because everyone looks to you but then we just had this conversation we just had recently a powder puff game and 
all the oh, yeah. popular girls. Why does Chicago love? Why? <laughs> why? It's why? we did it even in my year. I remember. Okay. It's, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. So we had that, and I was so excited. And all the popular girls, you know, right before the game, were all like, "Everyone who's in the group, get in the picture." Like right in front of the field and right like five minutes before we started and me and my best friend were in the first quarter and we were all like freaking out. We're trying to get ready and they were like, no, who, everyone in the picture, like make sure like who's in the group. Like she literally said, everyone who's in the group, get in the picture. <laughs> and then after that, who was running all the stretches? All the popular girls were. And like they knew, they know they have power and they know that no one will question it. But everyone around them, you could just hear the conversations. They're all like, there they go. Like mm-hmm. they, everyone like knew mm-hmm. what they were doing, but no one would say anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And then what my friends and I always talk about, they're like, well, think about how their life's going to be after high school. Like mm-hmm. after all these people are gone, you're going to be like, oh, wait, I'm not, you know, I'm the attention is not always going to be on me. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to figure it out a little differently, like the hard way. Well, they're trying, they probably will try and they might try to replicate it in right, college. In college. See, you know, like where to go from there. But at a certain point, if uh, this is a sort of harsh thing to say, but at a certain point, um, um, at a certain point, you have to get to a place where either you want to be authentic and know yeah. who you are and have relationships accordingly, or you have like an Instagram life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jeez. That's all I care about. That really. everybody looks to. What happened in the first quarter of that powder? Oh my prep god! Game? Can I not talk about it? I don't want to talk about it. It's a good story. Well, uh, we were like everyone wants their moment of glory, <laughs> and you know whatever they whatever happens in high school. And my friend was quarterback. I was running back, and she threw the ball to me, <laughs> and I ran like seventy yards. Sweet. And then I, I'm always going to remember this. This girl that was actually on varsity across her, oh. I, I shouldn't say her name, but she, like, five yards before touched, like, obviously the end zone, she ripped my flag off. And everyone Sorry. was very, oh, it's okay. I, I'm over it now. <laughs> that day but she's like, come on, it's so bad. I was like, it's like gonna, this is it. And then. Glory will and glory. And didn't you, didn't you tell me you looked back? And what then, do you mean? Like you were seeing if anybody was around you, and that's when she grabbed your flag. Or no one was up? around me. She just came out of no, like nowhere. Oh, I thought <laughs> I was like, who are you? Maybe I was trying to create a lesson out of it. Like, don't look back. Just keep going forward. I was like, how oh. can I teach in yes. this moment where my child? Yeah, is no, yeah. no, because okay. it was recorded. I can't. Yeah, I mean, I've seen the video many times, and you, you were like. I can't believe you didn't score that touchdown. I'm so sorry. That's okay. It's okay. It was a moment. So um, I want Rosalind to get a chance to talk about all the things she's doing right now before we close shop here, because I know you guys have Before we do that, I I have one last question, and then I want to hear, and maybe this is a leading question. Okay. Most of the people that listen to this podcast are moms, a lot of dads, parents, um, not so many administrators or Mm. teachers or things like that. So specific to parents in regards to what you have available what can a mom or a dad that's listening do to help them be broaden their horizons? Broaden their a horizons, bit. <laughs> understand what you're teaching. Oh. Well, I think that um, I wrote about this in Masterminds that I think the best advice and resource I can give you is to is your your child. Mm-hmm. But most parents will say, Yeah, but I can't get them to talk to me. And so what I think is, is that if you're picking up your child at the end of the day, that you don't ask them a million questions. Mm -hmm. I feel really, really strongly about that. Um, That, and also you shouldn't be on your phone as well, no Mm -hmm. matter if you're waiting or whatever, when they get into the car, you are 
present with that person. And even if you aren't even on talking, speaking terms that morning, like you, you just acknowledge the, their presence, look at them, be glad that they are in your life and say, hi, just hi, it's really good to see you. And even if they grunt or they like, don't say anything, that's, that's not personal to you. And then don't ask them questions. Like if you really need to ask them a question, ask them, like say, okay, I'd like to ask you one or two questions, maybe when I see you at the end of the day. So what would those be? And then you cannot ask any more questions. And so I, I just cannot believe that like all these parenting experts have said, like when you get your child in the car, you should ask them all these questions because they're trapped. Right. Lock they're them trapped. in. Right. <laughs> so, um, and the other part is what kind of questions? Because I've asked young people, what are the questions that parents are asking them? And they're insane. Mm -hmm. They are things like, who did you sit with at lunch? That is interviewing for pain. What is the child supposed to say? Well, you know, I sat with all my friends and everything went really well. Or I, I, they totally didn't let me sit there. And then the parent's going to ask a million more questions. And then the parent's going to want to send an email to somebody and just going to get worse. Like, why would you answer that question? Um, By the way, I've asked that question so many times. <laughs> don't have ask really? that question. I have. I Does know. Have ask that question? Yes. Well, uh, don't anymore. ask that question. More to Skylar for it. And it's not because I never ask them about tests. Like, I don't really care about tests. I don't care about grades. I, and I, and I'm not asking like, who do you sit with at lunch? Like, are you, are you part of a group or not part of a group? But I need to get more in my creative, creative mode. Like, cause it's like, what else can I, if I'm not going to ask about her grades, I, how about, what are you doing in gym? Did you hear like, the statement that Rosalind said that I'm never going to forget interviewing for pain? Yes. <laughs> because that's what we're doing as parents. Please tell me your day went okay. So I don't have to feel anything. Yes. Right. Please right. tell me you're okay. So I can like go to bed thinking you're a happy kid. Yes. And, but really we're like, kind of like diving in to like make sure versus just what, what you said about being in the car and just saying hi is that really basic thing of like, your kid's a human, you're a human, be like just a normal hi. human. Just hi. No hierarchy. Just, no teaching. I'm just seeing you. Hi. No teaching. Well, in my... That's a good one. <laughs> Father. <laughs> There's others too. There's like, so is there any drama today? Not a good question. Mm -hmm. You are an adult. Like, don't be asking about drama. That's crazy. You, I Like, that is not helpful parenting. It's mm -hmm. not. And so like... All of the it feels like an interrogation, and so yeah. I just want parents to realize that if they came home from a really really long day, whatever they're doing, and their kid was waiting there for them, like super intense, like <laughs> how was your day? Did you answer all of your emails? Did you go to the grocery store? Did you do all this? Did you do that? Did you answer? You handled it? Did you right? And you would be like, I just really would like to get my bags and put them down and just take a breath, mm -hmm. right? Because they just spent seven hours, right? Exactly. And then, the and if you don't path. handle that well, I mean, if you switch the roles again, so say the adult doesn't handle that well and is like a little bit snippy or grumpy, and then the child's response is like, Why are you being so moody? What's the problem? Like, I wow. just want some peace. Mm -hmm. Like, I just mm -hmm. need to decompress. So I would like parents, and they're going to get a lot more information from their children if they actually stop asking so many questions. So I think you can say, like, anything interesting happened today. Mm. I mean, that's, like, sometimes what I ask. And I don't – when I see them at the end of the day, I don't ask them questions. I, like, later in the evening, I'll do, like, a check-in, not every day, like, once a week. And I'll say, hey – like anything going on that's important that I should know about. And you got to manage your tone on that. Cause that could be like, a, that's all about the tone, yeah. that mm -hmm. question. Um, and if they say no, then you're like, cool. And you give them a kiss and you walk out the door. Right. If you, if they say, and they start talking, you sit down and you know, you say, and you don't look at them really super intensely and you just listen. 
And listening is being prepared to be changed by what you hear. So you don't interrupt them. You don't start asking them a million questions. Like if they say something about some bullying or mm -hmm. some conflict, like, well, where were you? Or where was the teacher? Or where did that kid say, well, what should we do? Well, should I? I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? Like, they're just trying to vent for the most part. Um, and if they're not and they really want advice, then say to them, well, I'd do you want advice? Mm -hmm. And then, then you can talk about it from there. So really my answer to your question is, your, your children are the like subject matter experts of their lives, and we have to really be reflective of how we're showing up in our conversations with them. Because if we are quieter, they will tell us more. Mm. Mm -hmm. Why are you looking Definitely. at me? <laughs> <laughs> well, and like you know, we I take my kid to tumbling, and sometimes oh she's on her phone, you know, doing her thing, and I'll ask a few probably not so great questions, not bad but neutral, and I'm not getting much out of it, and. Sometimes I have, I think, the discipline to just sit in quiet and let her be on her phone and I just have a 15-minute kind of driving meditation. But most of the time I put on sports radio because mm -hmm. it's like passive-aggressive, like, all right, you're not going to talk to me about this, then I'm going to make you listen to sports radio while you're on your phone. <laughs> That's mature. Sure. Exactly. And, and, you know, Todd, um, well, I mean, we all do this. I'm picking on you because you brought this up. But when you want to connect, you want everyone to on connect. My, on my time Yeah, frame. he's like, yeah. I'm here. You're mm -hmm. here. I'm ready. Let's go. And yeah. if someone doesn't want to connect, he's like, oh, well, you know, and so it is a, and again, to the, you know, this is the maturity thing. Like you said, we're the ones with the, the prefrontal cortex that's supposed that's to be fully the, formed. That's what the science says. That's what we're told past 25. And so we're the ones who need to take a breath and be like, when I'm on my way to tumbling and I'm nervous or whatever it may be, what do I need in that moment? And how can I support or, you know, what do they need? How can I support them in what they need? And as you have witnessed, when she's done and she gets in the car and yeah. she, all those endorphins are going, she's been moving. She's, she's like, much da, da, more da, 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 yeah. yeah, totally. So it's like respect the process of yeah. what it means to be a human. And, you know, and we all have work to do here. There, It's about, you know, the mood that you have that day. It's what's going on in our lives. There's so many conflicting dynamics. And this isn't about demonizing, just like the mean girl sings. It's not bad parents and good parents. It's just paying attention. So I hope we're good listeners, JC. I know well, I asked. Who's better, that. me or mom? <laughs> I know the answer to that question. This is I a, don't need to ask it. I don't know why you agreed to do this. I know. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, what, else, what, what other resources, uh, if somebody's like, oh, she, I like this lady. I want to learn more about her. <laughs> She's smart. Well, you can go to, I mean, you know, our website is Cultures of Dignity, and we are, I have a team, and we go into schools, um, but we're not solving these problems overnight. We're not mm -hmm. going in and being like, you know, here, no bully will happen after we leave. Um, we are working really um, intensively with schools to understand how to create these cultures and how to give student voice so that we are informed by the expertise that they have about mm -hmm. their culture. So anything to do with social emotional learning, character building, social media, I really, I, I mean, if I could, another thing I would get do away with is any kind of cyberbullying presentations or, or bullying presentations. Cause I think those 45 minutes, like kids walk out and they just like, whatever. And it could be a really sad story. And they really are just still like, okay, that was sad. That was sad, but that's not my experience. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to, I'm going to blow it mm -hmm. off. So we have to figure out ways that young people have voice in their schools, not necessarily get their way all the time. Nobody gets their way all the time. 
It's that they have to have a seat at the table, not just a focus group where we like extract information from them, but an actual, mm. actual, you know, sitting at the table. So that's what we've been doing. We're working with teachers. We're doing a lot of work with teachers so that before they get any lesson plans from us, we are teaching them about their own social emotional yep. capacities yeah. so they can have better teacher conferences. That's right. Right. Teacher mm -hmm. parent conferences are scary, by the way, for mm -hmm. a lot of teachers are scary. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, I don't know what to do. And then you don't really communicate as clearly maybe yeah. as you want or they don't listen, all this stuff happens. And so we're teaching them how to do that. So we're in all different kinds of ways in schools. Mm -hmm. We are figuring out how to empower young people and the teachers to feel like they can contribute and do it better. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. That's what, another favorite word, empower. Yeah. Because it's not like I'm going to give you something and you have to mimic. It's like I'm going to empower you to do this yourself. Yeah. Dignity, empower, mm -hmm. and uh, the what rest, interview for pain is interview it? for pain. That's good. I'm going to use that. I'm totally going to give you, you credit. Can call me and tell me if he does that too again. Yes. Okay. Then I'll call will, and be like, worry. stop it, stop, know, stop. Well, and, no, you know, no, we can talk forever. But Todd's <laughs> like, no, wait. Oh, as a father yeah. of three daughters, and I don't like You're so lucky. I don't like he the Dolan twins, or at least I don't understand them. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's just not a lot I have. What are you talking about? The Dolphins. I'm thinking of things that that I can connect with them oh, on. They're YouTube people. They're YouTube people. Okay, so it's not just the twins. It's just I'm, I'm just talking in general. James Charles. The things and everybody. that my daughters are interested in. It's my job as a dad to become interested in what they're interested Correct. in. Mm -hmm. So to, it's Tuesday yeah. night. This is us is on. Me and Cameron are going to be on the couch watching This Is Us and talking about it. So to all the dads out there, it's like oh, I just can't connect it, and I'm I'm. I need to take my own advice, so I just need to make everybody aware of that. <laughs> but um, it's we're the we're the grown up. It's our job to figure out, get curious, get open. How are we going to connect with these people who live in a very different world than we lived in when they were our age? And it's not just for the sake of being a parent. She knows more about music now than I do, and yeah. I used to pride myself on being like the music person, like I know this oh, yeah. band and this group. And she's like, "Here's a song." I'm like, "Oh yeah." Who is this? Like, I, she knows more about the things I love now than I I don't, yeah. you know, she's more, she's more plugged in. Yeah. And, you know, same with Cam with entertainment and movies, you know, and yeah. even politics. Cam will be like, did you hear what happened in the Democratic debate? I'm like, no, I haven't watched it. You I know, still so can't believe so, she likes watching that. Though. I know. She's obsessed. She's obsessed. And so, and, you know, Skyler can paint nails better than I can right at this point. <laughs> she's in sixth grade. So that, so we're not just doing them a favor of right. like, Let's get interested in what they're interested in so we can like, you know, it, it's a real relationship. It has to be authentic. It's authentic. But if it can't be authentic, then fake it till you make it. <laughs> and ask them lots of questions. And ask them lots of questions. <laughs> Are you going to end the on that? <laughs> and about drama. Yeah. About you have drama. drama Literally. Okay. Rosalind, yes. you're amazing. Thank you. Yes. You are like Thank a wealth of knowledge. Thank yes. you all so much. Thank you. I love being here. Um, queen bees and wannabes, and masterminds and wingmen. Do her website again. Culture cultures <laughs> cultures dignity.com dot com Rosalind thank you adios <laughs> thanks for listening everyone remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and feel free to leave a five star review on iTunes it helps people find us also subscribe and review our pop culturing podcast a Gen X viewpoint on movies and TV with an emphasis on personal growth and self-awareness it's basically the flip side of Zen Parenting Radio 
Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Zen Parenting Conference 2020 is February 28th and 29th. We'll be discussing sex ed, gender, anxiety, neurodiversity, and healthy relationships. Go to zenparentingconference.com to get your tickets. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at Todd at ZenParentingRadio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give him a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.